Hey, everybody. This is Jack from the Soul Patch Podcast. I have a quick message for you before we start the show. If you're living and working in South Korea, or you just have a Korea-related experience that you would like to share, please come on the show and be our guest. We'd love to have you. You can contact us at podcast at thesoulpatch.com. That's podcast at thesoulpatch.com. Send us an email. We'll have you on the show. It'll be a blast. Now it's time for the show. Welcome to the Soul Patch Podcast, the podcast where three American expats explore different topics related to living and working in South Korea. With the combined 45 years of living experience in Asia, there are plenty of stories to tell. So pop in your headphones and make yourself comfortable. It's time for the Soul Patch Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to The Patch. We are here with teacher Sean. Sean is a university teacher here in South Korea, but he's also a man who wears many hats. Uh, he's an urban farmer and a uh, avid biker. So Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. Sean, when did you come to Korea for the first time? Uh, I first arrived in Korea in 1996, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, maybe my 30th anniversary coming up in a few years, if I'm still here. Uh, I arrived in Busan in 96 and spent a couple of years there. And then every subsequent year or two, I was moving my way up to the peninsula and finally in Seoul here. Yeah. What, like in 96, like what was the, like, how did you find a job in, in Korea in 96? Like what was the... Uh -oh. uh, did they have the internet back then? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just, just started actually in 96. And actually I had I had no clue about ESL and any of the community way back then. It was just happenstance. Uh, I used to work in the commercial diving industry in, in Louisiana in the Gulf of Mexico. And one of my friends there moved to Seattle and said, anyone want to go with, you can come and we'll room together when we look for a job. And so I went with him to Seattle. In the first six months of living in Seattle, I couldn't find a, a full-time job. And just looking in the newspaper every day, I found an ad that was, you know, five centimeters long that just said, teach English in Korea, BA required. And that was my only uh, criteria as I wanted to use my degree for my next job. So away I went. Yeah, it was nice. I might want to talk to you about diving in Korea later. That's one of my hobbies, but, but we can save that for another <laughs> yeah. time. I, I and I, I thought you were from Chicago. Is that right, Sean? Are you from? That's true. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I grew up nearby Chicago, about an hour away, and uh, went to the university in Illinois there. But just uh, doing different work. I uh, in high school, my family mostly landscaped, and I think that's where my connection to a little bit of nature. We're hunters and landscapers, mm -hmm. and uh, and from there, just moving to different, you know, interesting things as a young man. And finding myself in Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for those that uh, I don't know if I, I mentioned this before, but uh, Sean, Sean and I are we, we know each other. We were classmates in, in graduate school. And uh, just I know that you're. I, I, I guess the right word is uh, you know, like well traveled, well traveled person, because you, you know, just talking about in the United States, you were in Louisiana, you go you went to Seattle. Um, you also spent some time in the Peace Corps, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. So my first two years in Busan, and then I worked in uh, Chengju the next year. And then my 
also served or actually taught in Gyeongju University in Gyeongju, the ancient mm -hmm. capital here. And it was then that I applied for Peace Corps and was offered uh, a time in Uzbekistan. I was invited to go serve in Uzbekistan, but that was halfway through my contract uh, in Gyeongju University. And I told the Peace Corps I couldn't go at this time. And so they sent me another invitation to the Republic of Georgia. And that's where I ended up teaching. Oh, interesting. So, how, how long were you there? Uh, the Peace Corps service is about two years. So I was there from 2001 to 2003. And uh, yeah, just teaching in a, a public school system there and also helping out at the university. So, well, what were you teaching? Uh, generally, it, it was ESL. So different from the Korean situation, Georgia, well, especially the Peace Corps, they wanted us to have a counterpart. So I taught in a public school with a Georgian teacher, and we taught all the kids that came through our classroom. And it was generally me there uh, inputting different activities, uh, new activities that maybe they weren't using before, trying to be more communicative in this way, right? So you're, you're doing a little bit of like programming as well, not just not just like running the class, but trying to actually contribute to the program. Right, right. So yeah, and, and it was fortunate for me and, and many of my other uh, uh, Peace Corps fellows, we had good counterparts that said, okay, how do we, we want to improve, but we don't know the latest uh, research. So just help us out with building a better curriculum and a better program. And, you know, step by step, we, we all of us don't know everything. So it was really helpful to have other teachers working with us. Yeah. How, how did your uh, time in Korea um, help you with the your teaching in Georgia? Like, was that um, really helpful to just kind of like, you know, uh, figure things out? You just kind of, you know, get some experience, experience in the field finally. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so my again fortunate to have a decent uh, Hogwan director. That's where I worked in Busan in a Hogwan, and my director pretty much invisible, but at least he had um, some criteria for us to teach. And so we, as a new, for, uh, sort of a new teacher in ESL, I was really uh, grasping at straws of, you know, how do I do this? Right, how do right. I do this? And, they, and they helped me with that, uh, you know, like present practice and production kind of stuff. Uh, and then from there, uh, just helping me understand uh, what's expected between, you know, teachers and students and just getting the whole grasp of classroom manners and things. And then I actually went to a CELTA program um, uh, that helped me. So I did a CELTA certificate in San Francisco before moving on into the Peace Corps. So, yeah. This is a, just a tiny little bit of a diversion, but how different was it back in 96 to now? Like, as far as like students are concerned and and oh. the, the, the kind of... Um, I don't know, like the what? What was the the kind of teaching philosophy that was that was kind of uh, mm. prominent back then? I, I think it was more uh, not as much rote in Korea, not rote memorization so much. Uh, when I think back at that time, uh, they wanted the students to go through some of the scripts and memorize them, but it wasn't all. That wasn't the entire idea in the classroom. Uh, this thing of you know, uh, actually, I misstated earlier, but I guess it's present, you know, we present them with some ideas, and then have them practice in rote, you know, repeating after me kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and then letting them go to produce by themselves. So 
present practice and production kind of method. Uh, that was, as far as I knew, that was quite big back then. And uh, just teaching wise, that was something that I don't do so much anymore, especially at the university level. It's these days, it's more communicative approach. Right. And, you know, it's content based, read this newspaper and summarize it. And I can, we're going to talk about vocabulary and ideas there. Yeah, I think, I think that, in, a, in a short sorry. timeline, I think um, the three of us, I know from working together, especially with Kevin, we work on the same campus and have to share the same office. I think we went through a similar arc in a more recent time period. I think even just like 13 years ago, mm-hmm. we also were kind of in the in the former like structure and then moved towards um, production. Do you find, do you think the reason for that is due to an evolution in the like general teaching philosophy, your teaching philosophy, or do you think it's reflective of the skill of the students? Like we often wonder about, hey, are is, the, is it just me or are the students actually getting better <laughs> at yeah. speaking English? Is it happening? <laughs> yeah, somewhere, yeah. How are they doing that? Every year we get new students at the university here and they are more incredible than the previous year's Okay, students. okay, it's yeah. not just me then. <laughs> yeah, so, and I wonder, I think it is the training that Korean teachers have, uh, they, they go through if they're going to be teachers, they have good training, and then English teachers have more training to deal with you know, the foreigners they may counterpart with here in Korea, uh, or just, yeah, just good education, I think, has developed uh, more. In a Korea. lot of different programs. I mean, that was actually my job before I worked at, at our current unis. I was working at a different uni. My, I was teaching teachers how to teach English, basically. Right, okay. yeah. So the English teachers, the, you know, elementary, middle, high school English teachers, Korean English teachers would go back. They take a year off of their normal work and basically get more training on how to be a proper English teacher, not just doing the memorization stuff. So it yes, seems I, like those are becoming more common. I did a, uh, a one year in an uh, elementary school out in Anyang and uh, the teachers there, we had a, a small workshop with our counterpart teachers. Again, in elementary school mm-hmm. here, they used to have counterparts. I don't know if they still do, but we had a small workshop. And then uh, if I remember correctly, they sent the, they thanked the foreigners and said, thanks, you're, you're finished for this workshop but the Korean teachers stayed longer and were doing more development work in uh, teaching ESL. So yeah, a lot of emphasis there. So like in 96, it sounds like, I I think this is intuitive, like for a lot of new teachers too, is like the, I say, you say approach, right? It's, it just seems like that. It it seems like that's the the way it should be done. It's just kind of like, okay, everyone copy me. I'll say it. And then you say the (laughs) sentence. And I think, um, yeah. You know, it's a, we, we have a much communicative approach is a much more sophisticated, I think, uh, you it's know, pedag- really pedagogy. hard to get an English teaching job in Korea for Koreans these days. Actually, I was just talking to a student last week, two weeks ago, very recently, who was telling me that they are going to be graduating soon. And so they're preparing for all of the tests and things that they need to do in order to get their, their certificate to be an English teacher. Mm-hmm. And what they were telling me about is serious. I mean, there's like a hardcore written test, you know, just to make sure that they've got the, the English ability but they've got to do like a whole English teaching, you know, practice and they've got to have gone through all of these different other things for different certificates and whatnot. So for them, for Koreans to now have that English teaching job is I'm sure much more difficult than it was in the past. There's a lot more that they have to work for. It's, it's a, 
being a teacher here is a, a government job, right? So they have to be certified. Right. They have to go through that test. Yeah. So I've heard that uh, it's quite a notorious test. I have some Korean friends that are now teachers, and they say it's a uh, standard procedure to at least fail once in that teacher's exam, and they oh, study it year and take it again. Yeah. It's it's not uncommon for like a someone in their 30s to like pass it for the first time it's like oh i finally passed it now i can start my career you know and it's they've been in limbo for you know four or five years or whatever um something Sean, i actually just also to... learned about that is that they have to they, they do different tests for different regions of of korea so if you want to test to be a teacher in seoul versus gyeonggi versus jeju there's a slightly different test because there's different standards and mm -hmm. so they have to to match those yeah. Yeah. Can we can we pivot a little bit? Like, I mean, I love that this conversation. I know it's also important for a lot of listeners and stuff. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm looking at you and I'm thinking like my timeline is really similar to yours in some funny ways. Like in uh, the time when you were doing the Peace Corps, I did AmeriCorps. Uh, when you when you then I did, I did graduate school before I came back in or when I came to Korea in 2007. But it's kind of like when you uh, re-arrived, like um, I lived in Busan first also. Okay. Um, and Chicago. Just, yeah. I'm also, yeah, I went to, I went to Loyola. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're all like from the Midwest, me, Jack. Well, not Kev. Yeah. Kevin's the West West. Um, so I'm, I guess in my mind, I'm, I'm starting to like kind of imprint my own memories onto your story and I'm starting to think, all right, all this time living abroad, like, Okay, we've talked a bit about like the, the career development and stuff, but what about uh, lifestyle? It's such a radical thing to move to the other hemisphere um, and spend your, I don't know, like the majority of our adult lives now um, being out here. So I jumped into this conversation. I, I was a little like late. Uh, I heard something about like you were talking about uh, uh, sustainable farming or something. What, what was I missing there? Yeah. Um, oh, something that's just a hobby that's uh, caught my attention and it takes up quite a lot of my time is yeah, sustainable farming is still a good term, but these days, and I think the, uh, the better way to describe that is regenerative agriculture. So, and it's doesn't have to be a huge farm. We can use regenerative practices for small gardens. And it's just the idea behind soil health and therefore food health. Yeah, that's what so we're... So you manage like your own, uh, like it's like rooftop gardens or what is the. Yeah, I in my present apartment on campus here, uh, we have a veranda and it doesn't look like much uh, good that we're not showing pictures because it's not really much at all. But it's just me thinking of, you know, learning all of these things that I post uh, that Jack saw before. It's uh, just me applying them to a small veranda garden and a, a multitude of. Uh, big and small, you know, ceramic pots and things like that. So. so, so how did you, how did you get into this? I think one of the things that I thought was really interesting coming from Chicago, um, I had never traveled before I came here. So it was like just smash and I'm in a new culture. I looked out at all the rooftops and I see so many kimchi pots. Everybody's growing something here and you're in this urban environment, um, very urban, dense environment. And it was very impressive to me. I mean, I, I live in a house now with a little courtyard, but the grandma who lives downstairs, I mean, she's got probably like half of her foods being grown right here in front of my house. It's wild. So yeah. what, what, uh, what, what started your interest in this? 
I think it was uh, just trying to once trying to grow some uh, tomatoes and peppers and I wasn't really getting anything. I might've get, I might've grown five mini tomatoes, right? Cherry tomatoes in a season in one bell pepper. So Salad. it was good. I was doing something okay, but you know, what is everyone else doing? And I saw the same thing. So many rooftops, rooftops yeah. and my friend, uh, my friend over in another part of the city, she was growing all this kind of pumpkins on her roof. And how are you doing that? And so other people started pointing me in that direction of, well, just, just watch this video or just think of the soil. What are you doing with your soil? And, and that led me down a good rabbit hole, I guess. Well, yeah. One of the reasons that I wanted to have Sean on our show was because in my Facebook feed, he his posts are so interesting and they keep popping up. And I I keep clicking on them. So Facebook is like, well, you want more of this? I'll, I'll give you more, you know, Sean. So I just keep getting a lot of stuff. And, and I saw you, you know, in one post, you're like making your own granola, you know, like you're making your own peanut butter and yeah. it's all organic. And yeah. I'm like, God, I wish I could be like Sean, you know, I'm oh. so lazy. I'm like, you know, Costco Jiffy two for, you know, one plus one. Um, it's terrible. It's got hydrogenated, you know, cooking oil in it. I'm, you know, I'll be on Lipitor for the rest of my life, you know, with the, the way I eat. But um, like when, when, like what Ryan said, like, when did you, when did you start thinking about like becoming health conscious? You, you always seemed kind of health conscious to me since I've known you and I've known you for probably more than 10 years. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, that's the other half of that. You mentioned, you know, going to the store and, and relying on what's available in the store uh, to, you know, cook dinner or make your breakfast and lunch. The, the idea was I didn't want to buy things in plastic anymore. So gardening, of course, is one way that we can grow stuff that doesn't have plastic around it. And so that's, and it's funny, you talk about my granola and my peanut butter. So I'd go to the market and yeah, I bring my own plastic bags. Then I just keep reusing the plastic bags I have. But I go to the farmer's market or uh, open air market over here near Changyangni Station. And it's uh, just good. I can buy all my fruits and vegetables there and my peanuts and walnuts and sunflower seeds that are ready to eat and all this. They're all shelled. And so from there, I thought, well, what, you know, I'm, this is a good start. How can I continue to? not use plastic and it, it's a hard principle to live by oh my god my i burned through plastic bags here, like crazy yeah oh geez and it's i when i go to the market they are so quick when i ask for yeah i'll have one kilo of this or these apples they are so quick to pull the plastic bag off their they really are rack and bag it up <laughs> and i you i have to always yeah and i they know me even i they have to they probably recognize me here's this guy on his oh bike. it's the no plastic uh, guy okay yeah. yeah he comes again and yeah. i have to say you know i have to hold my bag up in front of them and say yeah i'll take these apples and i'll put them in here right and i of course i'm speaking korean as best as i can and yeah i'm, I'm catching them earlier these days with Here's my plastic bag. I'm going to put these in here and they're cool with it. And some, it's interesting. Some even say, wow, you're such a good person or a good boy. Some people say it there, right? But that's part, that's part of the whole thing of me just starting to grow stuff. And then it led into, well, what's, why is my soil look so sandy? It looks, 
more like dirt and not really soil. So what can I do with that? And, uh, trying to compost, uh, you know, Korea has a great system of collecting food garbage and I really don't know where that goes, but I save some banana peels and I uh, cook my own eggshells, for example, so I can crush them and add them to my soil. But uh, mm. this kind of thing just keeps me thinking what else could we all do? And then leading into things that Jack has seen on Facebook. Well, I like the conversation, so maybe I can get my nieces and nephews to think about, if not act yet. But yeah. mm -hmm. have you got? Have you joined any groups or anything? Are you? Is this a? Um, I'm sure there are communities of, of people. There's a community here in Korea that probably are also thinking like you. Uh, even mm -hmm. Kevin's wife, I know you. You guys are careful about plastic. Um, oh, we're yeah, we're great. Like actually, we we often yeah, they put the apples in the bag, and we often just tell them like, no, we're okay, and they'll take it out again and put it into our our shopping bag. I always carry a shopping bag with me wherever I go. For yeah, I would for say sure. I'd say it's it's probably a catching idea. I mean, like yeah, we never use plastic. I'm thinking of like my friends. Uh, even if um, you're walking in, even if you're gonna pick up quite a few things, like. I mean, people just stick it in their pockets now. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty common. Um, I was just, I just got back from a bike trip. Uh, we biked down to Yeoju and, and back. And so, you know, you're, you're grabbing a lot of stuff. It's pretty, and you're on the bike. It's pretty common. You grab a Kimbop or whatever, you know, they, they reach for the plastic. Um, and you don't really have a lot of pockets on you because you're biking. But your bike does, but your bike is over there. So you end up doing like this thing, you know, like you're cradling everything in your arms and like the, the person stacks it on you as you walk away. <laughs> but I mean, what's the big deal? You get to your bike and then you just kind of, you know, dump it on the bike right. and it works. Yeah. I wonder that going back, you were talking about like communities for these. I, I wonder what kind of, because there definitely are farming communities. I mean, I know that our university, like there, there's a student club for farming for example, like the students will get in and they, they, they manage their own little plot. I'm not sure. I, I know it's in the city I, I, or I believe it's in the city. So there is like those kind of things for some students to get involved in. But at the same time, like you were talking about earlier, you go up to your roof and just look around and everyone is doing their own little thing. And so I think it's an interesting thing in Korea where we've got, you know, farming communities where people want to learn. But then at the same time, there's just a bunch of people just doing it solo as well here for, for rooftop yeah. farming and things like that. Yeah, I've seen when I run or ride my bike around the city, you know, all those small streams, they all have mm. whether government provided plots where the city provided plots they're renting. Yeah. Or I don't know how they assign those allotments, but yeah, if, if it's not that, yeah, then it's, it's something near someone's house if they have uh, a yard or a rooftop. Yeah, it's, so, it's, so a, it's amazing what they're growing there too. It's just incredible it, so much food. It, it really is it's more than just tomatoes like people are growing like proper like you know like you were saying like pumpkins and things like yeah big yeah my, my alley next to the house it's like this kind of stinky favela looking alley and there's um there's like a fence there and it's all pumpkins being grown on it like why not <laughs> you know yeah, I, love <laughs> I love it that. i love it i, I love um, the pumpkins yeah i I had, a, I had a question for you you sean um one thing that uh, just recently in the last two years, I've moved to this neighborhood uh, just the last two years ago, two years ago, I'm in Huam Dong, it's next to Seoul Station. It's mm -hmm. an old neighborhood. Uh, and I don't know why, but my market seems to have a lot of mushrooms and I've, I've liked mushrooms, they're fine, but I think I've eaten more mushrooms in the last two years than my entire life. I've just like jumped into the, I'm on the mushroom train. 
Mm. And I realized how delicious they are, how much um, they're, they're very uh, cheap as far as a food. Um, so very economic. Uh, have you thought of growing mushrooms at all? Because I feel like there's a huge category of mushrooms that are missing here that could be grown here. I haven't thought of that uh, as one of my staple foods that I'm trying to grow. Uh, I don't know if I have the right conditions. Uh, you know, do you think in the dark and growing in manure or whatever, I don't have all of that. Uh, but it is an idea. You, I think they, in Korea, they have uh, what they use everywhere in the world for growing mushrooms, those plugs they put into the uh, yeah. pine log, right? Yeah, that I would like to try if I had the right conditions and I could keep it. I know, I know when um, another thing, again, timelines being similar, I lived in the Pacific Northwest also. Um, and when I was there, uh, there was a company, I'm sure they're still around, but they would sell mushroom kits. I remember I bought a bunch, it's like around the millennium. And I mailed them to my family in Wisconsin. They were pretty simple. And I could see them being uh, functional for small apartments here. They were like baskets that you would hang in your bathroom, just anywhere that's a little bit humid. And as long as you showered every day, or if you just want to miss it, um, I bought it as kind of like a novelty thing for my family. I was like, ha, ah, mailing you mushrooms. And they ended up loving it. My sister got like two or three flushes off of like one of them. Um, they grew like oysters, I think lion's mane. I'm not sure. Yeah, they all yeah. were, but I, I don't see any of anybody producing that kind of stuff here. So people like you that are excited about, you know, doing this kind of stuff, I want to just throw it your way. Like, you know, cause yeah, I would like to buy mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. Now, now you've got me thinking if I could, yeah, I, I, in my apartment here, I have two bathrooms, one's en suite for my master bedroom. Right. And another one, uh, one half bathroom. So I have two places I could potentially keep sort of, uh, wet and yeah from the shower and mist them and keep them close the doors and keep them in the nice dark. i've seated the idea i'm gonna get yeah it. <laughs> that's, it's gonna grow now that's it's got me thinking is it's i usually think uh so another impetus of why i'm doing you know why do i post all this stuff about regenerative farming is as earth stays the same size but there are more people and we're living in these smaller places how can we grow enough food and it's Food security and food sovereignty is huge for me too. So how can small families in a small apartment grow enough food to offset their expense of going to the market or even knowing they have nutrient rich homegrown food, right? So now the mushrooms, oh gosh, what potential. <laughs> the salad is getting even better uh, every every minute here. Sean, what, what are you, what, what are you growing? Oh, sorry, Ryan. Uh, what, what are you growing on your veranda right now? Like, what is your, uh, like, uh, you said you started with like a, a kind of sad, uh, three cherry tomatoes and, uh, you know, in a kind of Charlie Brown Christmas tree, uh, situation there. What do you, what do you got now? Like, uh, as far as vegetables? So actually I've, uh, we call them volunteer plants. Some seeds that I had in my soil, some, somehow from composting, I've got some smaller, again, cherry tomatoes. I have a, a, a large uh, pepper plant uh, that's not flowered and has, doesn't have any fruit on it yet, but uh, it's coming. And then I'm your carrots, eggplant, and I've got some heavy composted soil that hasn't completed yet. And I hear that's good for uh, pumpkins and squash. So I'll, I'll put some mm. pumpkins and squash there soon. 
Uh, don't take my word for it. I'm not a soil scientist, everyone. Just, <laughs> right. just trying things on my veranda. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. Yeah, you mentioned also, uh, while it's on my mind, you asked about groups that I'm part of here. I, I don't really contribute much, but I am in envy. If I have envy in my life, it's these uh, people in gardening in the ROK. That's a Facebook group. And these, they live in Gangwon-do, so they have, you know, every time they show their plot. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So lucky, yeah. right? It's, you know, so there's, like a, there's like a waterfall kind of, you know, yes. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mountains in the background. <laughs> Boy fish pond. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the mounds of radishes and all these things they have, and it's yeah, it's really quite amazing. So there are people, you know, not in the city doing some quite lovely things. Just, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So and and uh, I know. So we talked about uh, your urban farming uh, a hobby and uh, regenerative practice. I just had one more thing that I wanted to ta- talk to you about because you you mentioned quite often about meat the idea that eating meat is not necessarily like going vegetarian or vegan is not the answer um, or the solution. And could you explain that? Cause I know you've done a lot of research about that. And Korea is such a meat heavy, you know what I mean? Like this idea that, you, you know, Oh, you shouldn't eat that Samgyeopsal or you shouldn't, you know, you know, go to the Galbi restaurant or whatever. Yeah, this is, uh, this is hard. Uh, I, I like meat. I'm not vegetarian. I'll eat just about anything. And Korea is good for that, right? I used to not enjoy Samgyeopsal, but now I don't push back too much if friends want to go eat there <laughs> after a Friday night or something. Is it your? Uh, is it because of the 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 t- like the fat or or just yeah pork? yeah? Just, oh, okay. It's, it's not an ideological thing. Just, okay. No, no. Okay. Not uh, my Thinking ethics. That's why it's good. Yeah, it's, it's great, right? Fatty and juicy. Uh, my ethics, even though I eat uh, most of my diet, meaning food intake, is vegetarian, just because uh, we need to eat more vegetables, just a healthy way to go. And But meat is definitely part of a healthy diet. And we don't want to get into there maybe about diets, but for the soil, meat is essential. Uh, pigs and cows and chickens are an essential part of soil health. And to, to think of just principles of soil health, thinking that we should um, always keep the soil covered, keep the ground covered. And uh, that means even after you've harvested, uh, we shouldn't disturb the soil. We should cut at the, uh, the ground level, cut off our crop, unless it's a root crop. That we're pulling out of the ground. Mm-hmm. But generally, if we can keep the roots in the soil, uh, living especially, but even dead roots are part of the carbon cycle of soil. What are we doing when we compost? We are, you know, roots, be, dead roots become compost for the soil. So that's great if we can leave that in there. And what happens when animals come across there, they're eating grass, they're pecking at the bugs and you know, doing what animals do. And uh, they grow up on healthy soil. Uh, we get healthy meat from them. And it's uh, they you know, doing regenerative agriculture or following these practices of uh, integrating animals and uh, keeping them rotating around a certain area. If you have the, a big enough farm to do that rotation, these animals will 
live uh, a happy life in in no one second maybe of I'd hate to say a pain and right. after. But what you're what you're describing is much. Sorry, um, have you been able to find much like uh, like organic or or sustainably farmed meat here in Korea? Uh, I I don't look for it. I I usually would pay, maybe pick up a uh, yugi known organic eggs. I'm big on right, right. eggs. Uh, yeah, we've seen those a lot. Those right. those are com- somewhat common at least. Yeah, and I I pay the extra just to see if if they really look different than the other eggs I usually buy, right? And <laughs> for the most part, yeah, they they uh, look a little bit better and stronger. But the yolks uh, are often a different color as well. Right. Yeah, with, they with don't run ones. across the pan so much, right? It's just a good, yeah. We often get those same the same eggs. I, I know. Yeah. the The idea for you know, if we can integrate animals, just it's just part of the process. And thinking regenerative agriculture or uh, something called permaculture, right? They have similar ideas, and they think permaculture looks towards nature. Imitate nature, and you might be into some good practices, right? So animals are in nature. Animals are grazing and moving on, or they're chased by something, and they're moving around, and things can grow back. And uh, animals leave their manure as they move along, and this is all good to integrate. But, but I was just wondering if you'd be able to find it. I know that there was, I wonder if it's still there, there was a kind of like a, an organic supermarket in our neighborhood, actually, which is kind of cool because in Korea, I mean, I remember when I first got here, the organic section of the supermarket was like one shelf, basically, <laughs> and it slowly got bigger to like a section. And then there was an organic, an entire supermarket, and they had like organic meats and things like that. But that supermarket was a bit strange. We didn't go there very often because even the supermarket was like a membership and we didn't go often enough. We're like, we don't want to pay a membership just to buy good meat like for, for us. So we don't do a ton of meat at home either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's becoming available, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, go, yeah, I don't go to the uh, major supermarkets so often. I, I don't know about those sections. Uh, if they're, uh, friends tell me that when they go, there is a, a growing, even a vegetable, organic vegetable section that is growing. Mm, and yeah. I guess that's good, you know, relying on nothing else except being organic and buying organic. That's supposed to mean no pesticides, no fungicides, right? Uh, no herbicides. I wonder so what it means in Korea. That's something that would be interesting to look into because in America, you know, the organic label means one thing. And I assume it means something similar in Korea, but I, I don't, I haven't looked into like legally okay. what, what is required. I feel like, I feel like the, like the labeling, like I try to, go, you know, I try to go towards those sort of things from the market, you know, maybe I'll even ask, you know, where are these from? It's nice to know if your fruits and vegetables are coming at least from Korea or if they're coming from abroad and you can kind of find out where they're, how they're something. being grown. But one of the, one of the things that, for me, um, I find there's, uh, it's, it's experience. Like I just enjoy having a little intimacy with the things I'm eating. I think it enhances your life quality. Um, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, just, I don't know that, that level of intimacy in growing, even just the most simple, small garden, like we grow a few things here, but it just gives you a different feeling for what you eat. Like, you know, those giant leaks that we get here like the huge freaking leeks. They're massive. If you buy a bunch of those, it's like a buck, right? It's, they're basically free food. It's so cheap. Um, we'll take those, chop them up and put them in a baggie in the freezer because you just use them to toss them to soups and stuff or, or sauces and whatever. But then the roots, 
you can just put, pop those in a, in a pot. They grow so fast. It's, I was just joking to my yeah. sister. It's like the cheat code for free onions. Like <laughs> you just put them in a pot, put them outside. And yeah, yeah a week later, you got more leeks. A week later, vegetable you, you can go pretty far before they're exhausted. Um, yeah, we, we had the same ones. I grew them just behind me on that shelf uh, mm. through the winter. <laughs> so, but that it's, it's funny, but it also just gives you kind of a, an intimacy with what you're putting in your body. And I don't know, I think it's a quality of life thing that again, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, or, you know, you're doing it like for economic reasons. I mean, I can afford dollar onions, but it's uh yeah, I think it's, it's enhances your life quality. Mm. Yeah. Something cool about just, you can do that with carrots or other things too, that yeah. grow a little bit. And I mean, even carrot greens, uh, usually we chop them off and throw them away or they go away, but I eat everything I can. So even these onions, if they're growing just a little bit, that's definitely something I don't have to buy. And it's something you, you I do the carrot buy. greens. That was something I just saw for the first time. My father-in-law last year, two years ago, suddenly like all we live in the same kind of small apartment building. Like we're upstairs and my, my in-laws are just downstairs. Mm -hmm. Suddenly like in the, all through the stairwells and in their apartment, there's just small plates of like the the top of the carrot cut off slowly growing green stuff and it's just like everywhere there's like a plate of carrots here a plate of carrots here a plate of carrots here just growing the little green stuff I was like what the hell are you growing he's like oh we can eat it I was like yeah cool. I I had no idea but that's yeah. a thing carrot greens and I don't know some people say you wait long enough and the carrot comes out of there but I've never gotten <laughs> no that we I didn't see that but they definitely the green was getting bigger and bigger they were turning into little mini bushes just coming yeah. from that it was really surprising I don't think I've heard of this before carrot that. greens yeah so so Sean would you say since you uh you started you know toiling in the soil like 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 this has become part of your lifestyle are you, does it make you happier? I mean, is, is there, is there something like, a, like, I think Ryan was kind of uh, hinting towards this. Is there like a, a therapeutic element to it, a meditative uh, element to it? Um, uh, yeah. Outside of uh, just growing your own food, just beside that idea is just, yeah, I'm, it doesn't take much time each day and I'm doing something that it smells good. You know, good soil just smells good. And yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's quality of life that uh, mm -hmm. I can feel I'm doing something for me, but I'm, I'm not relying on something else somewhere else that. And do you feel better? Use. Like health wise, do you feel better than maybe you did in the past just because you're, that you're sustaining yourself on a diet of your own, uh, you know, grown food? Yeah. I, I think mentally, yeah, sure. There's a, uh, could I say an improvement in my mental health, just saying this is good. And, but I think that comes with any hobby though. And I'd like to say it's connected to soil and me just, you, you do seem sharper than uh, when I first met you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's, I, I would be, I think I'd be remiss here because uh, Ryan is a huge biker and, uh, and uh, you know, Korea has these wonderful bike trails. Sean, you're also a, a, a big uh, bike trip guide as well, right? Right. Uh, what's today? So Friday, I rode with my friend to Songtan. He wanted to go there. So that was 80K there, I guess. And wow. just yesterday morning, I rode back and another 80K. And whew, the wind was blowing in my yeah. face both directions, right? <laughs> was it was this for, for me, this was like my first big ride of the season. And I've, I've been trying to run like through the winter and stuff. But I, I've been off my bike for distance travel until this trip I just took um thursday friday so is this your first out or are you like more consistent 
maybe a little more consistent. I've uh, last year I rode my first time sold to Pusan, and nice. then, and then wow. took the bus back, <laughs> slept on the bus <laughs> on the back uh, back way. Uh, but yeah, uh, you said you went to Yaju just over here, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so my friends and I will go to Yaju once and come back. We'll spend a night there and come back. Or we've gone to um, uh, Chunchan uh, to yeah, grab some really and yeah, just come back. And it's it's great. The, the Korea's bike paths, yeah, I'm, I'm so, I think my family and friends are either tired of listening to me about how awesome <laughs> the bike paths are, or they're like telling their town hall that we need more bike paths in America. So, yeah. yeah, I lived here for, for years. I had no idea. I had a coworker, friend, I was, he just kept pushing me. He said, you gotta, you gotta get on the bike paths. And I, I sold my bike when I left Chicago and I didn't buy one when I came here. I just didn't care about biking at all. I used it for community in Chicago mm-hmm. and I didn't need it here. And he's a biker and he liked to do bike trips. And he's like, you got to try it. You got to try it. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. So I went to the bike store. I bought a hundred dollar bike bicycle and I was blown away. I had no idea how nice the trails are, how easy they are. Oh, I'm going to start talking. I got to shut up. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm right there with you because when my friends and I ride, they engineer the bike paths, just like a main highway here, main expressway. There are, when the asphalt meets a bridge, it's just smooth transition. It's just incredible. And then you get to ride around the country and see what different people are doing. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. What's your, do you have a, uh, uh, now you're also uh, a hiker as well. Um, how, wh- which, uh, if, if I had, if you had to choose like, uh, you know, Sophie's choice here, uh, biking or hiking, which uh, I know it's a tough one. Uh, I would probably choose uh, hiking. It's uh, less equipment and, you know, more people might be able to enjoy, you know, it's being out there and biking. I ride up next to my partner and say a few things, but we can't ride side by side the whole time. But hiking, you can sort of do that and, you know, make your own pace up the mountain. Yeah. So probably have to lean towards hiking and Korea, I mean, anywhere you go, it's going to be a mountain or hill somewhere. Yeah, that's something we've mentioned as well. Like how, I mean, biking is super easy, but in Korea, like even in the city here, you can just hop on the subway and within, you know, probably 30 minutes or maximum an hour, you're next to some epic mountain where you get off the subway and just start hiking. Yeah. And some of my friends, we've done both. Uh, You know, one of the guys is more robust than I am. He's a little bit younger and healthier and he says today or tomorrow, let's go. We're gonna bike to that mountain, hike, and then come, you know, bike home. Bike home. And we go for it. We sure let's do it. But it's tough. Nice. There you go. So I mean, there there is more to uh, to Korea than just you know uh, hanging out downtown or you know Hongdae, Itaewon, that kind of thing. Um, we we love to hear the the other perspective, and uh, I think you kind of epitomize that uh, in a, in a way where you've. You know, um, now, are you uh, if we uh, project ourselves into the future a little bit here as we wrap up the podcast, um, are you are you do you plan to stay here? I mean, is Korea your, you know, kind of forever home? Is this your, uh, you know, your your place? That's tough. It's uh, I've tried to integrate myself as much as I can. Uh, I'm not married, so uh, there's not that family connection here kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But I. I try not to just be the person filling a bar stool. I want to be out 
And so definitely it feels like my home. Uh, the other side of that is I always, every three years as I re-sign a contract, I think I need to go home, but, but how do I get home and make that transition back to the States? Because I want only for the really only major reason is a one family and another just to go outside and dig a hole if I want to, but here I, I can't do that, right? I don't have that right. Uh, because it's, I don't own that soil or that park outside. Uh, so that's something I, I weigh every time, you know, every other year. So I think, can I go home and still maintain my safety and security and do the things I want? Um, but yeah, Korea is wonderful. I came back because of how safe and good it is to live here. So yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, that's great. I, I think I, I think we probably all feel the same way and uh, except for digging the whole thing i'm, I'm okay without digging the hole but okay. uh, yeah <laughs> but, i, I uh, dig some holes that sounds good. <laughs> that's just but an i appreciate of, yeah, setting up a swing set you know you can do what you want if you're you have your plot back home somewhere but and that's just a, a basic example you can have that awesome allotment with the little waterfall and the koi pond and uh yeah. you know yeah yeah there's a whole another segment I'll have to talk to you guys after talking about houses and house design and things and what's wrong with the world with architecture. Oh, man. Well, that sounds like a, a, a perfect uh, part two, because uh, uh, this was uh, fantastic. Sean, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show uh, today. Oh. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, no problem. We just Kevin, just Brian. started talking about so many topics as well. There's a lot more we could get into, but yeah, I know. We, I just feel like we scratched the surface of of a few things, but you know, uh, there's always another another chance, another bite at the apple. So um, nice. I'm just going to say goodbye to our listeners here. Uh, everybody, you guys know where to find us. You can go to our website, thesoulpatch.com. It's a one stop shop for streaming the episodes. You can download it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, if you could do us a huge favor and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts, that will really help us out. Um, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can listen to the show there. Um, and uh, if you have it in your hearts to smash that Patreon button, you can buy us a cup of coffee and that money will go towards producing the show so that we can uh, bring a new episode to you every week. So with that, uh, we'll say goodbye. Sean, thanks again. And uh, we'll see, see you next week on The Patch. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a great day. I'd like to pay a couple respects to the people that made me what I am today. Nothing here. It's all my love. It's all my love. The quiet man. It's all my love. It's all my love. Dopamine. Jim. It's all my love. Brain. It's all my love. It's all my love. Hey, Bobby, let the bass go. Call me an eater. Call me a domino.